Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hello, and thank you for listening to this week's Major League Mailbag. I am your host, Bob Phelan, and wow, um, the Orioles are off to a great start to start the second half. They sweep the Miami Marlins this weekend, this past weekend, and improve their record to 57-35, and 35, 22 games over 500, just one game behind Tampa Bay for first place in the division, and they've won eight games in a row. Colton Kowser, they haven't lost a game since he was promoted eight games ago. So it has been a lot of fun recently after a very tough stretch that preceded this where people were starting to worry a little bit. Now the Orioles are the highest they've been over 500 all season. Got a tough stretch coming up the rest of this month, uh, especially this week, as I will preview uh, thanks to David Adams' question as usual later in this episode with the Dodgers and the Rays. But hey, this is a great team, and they've been playing good teams and winning Regardless, so we can only worry about ourselves. I think our playoff odds are over 80% now, and that's saying something when it comes from fan graphs and the like, considering <laughs> I think it never got higher than like, I don't know, 8% last year, despite how good we ended up being towards the end of the season. But let's get to the mailbag questions. Actually, I will start with David Adams who asked me to preview the Dodgers and Rays series. And yeah, so the Dodgers are coming into town for a three-game series starting tonight. Hopefully the travel from the West Coast to the East Coast is still bothering them. I know they were in New York over the weekend, so unfortunately they're probably acclimated by now. But jet lag, maybe it hasn't worn off. They are an incredibly good team. Their record sits at... 53 and 39, second best record in the National League. Their roster is stacked. The pitching, <laughs> these are the pitchers on their injured list Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Dustin May, Ryan Pepio, Noah Syndergaard. All these guys are hurt. Doesn't matter. They still have a five man rotation of Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin, Bobby Miller, Emmett Sheehan, and Michael Grove. The farm system is helping them tremendously because even though they've been good for a very long time, they still have one of the best farm systems in baseball, which is where the Orioles want to be eventually as well. But tonight it will be Emmett Sheehan, a rookie who's 2-0 with a 4.36 ERA, got really good stuff, against Grayson Rodriguez, who will be making his return to the Orioles. He is 2-2 with a 7.35 ERA, but he has been very good in AAA since being demoted. Hopefully whatever he was working on uh, translates back. To the major leagues for some success it would be nice to have him during the stretch run despite the Orioles starting pitching has been really good the past few weeks but you know you can never have enough pitching and you especially can never have enough high-end pitching in the playoffs tomorrow night 
it will be Michael Grove. He's one and two with a 6.89, but again, he's got really good stuff. So the numbers, you know, don't be surprised if he comes out and shoves because he's got good stuff. So he's the guy that's trying to figure it out, but he'll be going up against Tyler Wells uh, on argument to be the Orioles ace. He's seven and four with a 3.18 ERA. And then a Wednesday matinee features Julio Urias, who's seven and five with a 4.35 ERA against Dean Kramer, who's 10 and four with a 4.59 ERA. Even if you want to give the Orioles a slight edge in the starting pitching for this series, I would think you have to give the edge to the bullpens to the Dodgers, especially middle relief. Obviously, Felix Bautista, Yanir Cano, and Danny Kaloum are a pretty good back three for the O's, but we know we sag in the middle a bit there until some improvements are made, whether it's internally or through trades. Our old friend Evan Phillips is the Dodgers closer, who... We knew he had the potential to figure it out. That's why he stuck around here as long as he did. And then that's why Tampa Bay went after him. And he ended up with the Dodgers and everything worked out. They got Bruce Star Gratterall, Caleb Ferguson, Yancey Almonte, Phil Bickford, Alex Vessia, Ryan Brazier, and Nick Robertson rounding things out. I mean, no huge names, but I have to imagine they can mix and match at least as good as the Orioles. And their their lineup is... Maybe not quite as fearsome as it has been the past couple of years, but still, you got Mookie Betts leading off, Freddie Freeman behind him, Will Smith at catcher, Max Muncy, J.D. Martinez, David Peralta, Jason Hayward, James Outman, another good rookie, and Miguel Rojas with Austin Barnes, Chris Taylor, Jake Marisnik, and Yanni Hernandez on the bench. So it'll be a tough series. Would love to take two out of three, but even if you can just win one of those games, I feel like it's not the worst situation in the world. But we are on an eight-game winning streak, so it is nice to get greedy. And then we have a four-game series in Tampa Bay, which that is the way more important series, I would I would think, because the Rays are on a bit of a losing streak. They've lost seven of their last ten games to allow the Orioles to come up right behind them. And after their incredible start to the season, the Orioles have played better. So we've we've played them before this year. We've beaten them before this year. We know what they bring, but let's go over it once more. You're going to have to face a Shane McClanahan, Tyler Glasnow, Taj Bradley, Zach Eflin. You know, they have really good pitching. Again, despite having Shane Boz, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs, Josh Fleming all on the injured list. They do have a great bullpen. Pete Fairbanks, Jason Adam, Colin Pochet, Jake Diekman, Robert Stevenson, Kevin Kelly, Sean Armstrong. Uh, old friend continues to stick around. Yanni Chirinos in there. And I feel like their lineup is slipping a bit, but they're still super talented with Brandon Lowe at second base, Wanda Franco at shortstop, Randy Arezarena, Luke Rayleigh, Josh Lowe, Isaac Paredes, Jonathan Aranda, Jose Siri, Christian Bethicourt. They have Manuel Margot, Harold Ramirez, Taylor Walls, Francisco Mejia on the bench. So another incredibly tough series. A split would at least keep things copacetic as we head into the final two months of the season. But you win three out of four, or God forbid, sweep them in a four-game series, then all of a sudden you're looking at the first place Baltimore Orioles. So big week coming up in the Orioles season. On a completely different note, David Adams also would like to know, will the first On The Verge international meetup be in Brazil or Wales? And uh, between those two, I mean, I've never left the country. I've never uh, flown internationally. Um, Brazil seems a lot of fun, but... You know, got to go back towards the homeland as an Irishman. 
and maybe we'll go up to Wales. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'll go anywhere. If you guys w want us to, to go wherever, I'm up for it. So sign me up. Speaking of meetups, we might have a potential end of season live show coming up uh, like we did last year. So stay tuned for more details on that. Would love to see you guys out there. David would like, a different David, <laughs> I just realized, would like to know if Jackson Holiday has a great second half with Bowie in a good spring, what are the chances he makes the opening day roster? And this is interesting timing because last night in our WhatsApp group, we were having a lively conversation about the possibility of that because I said I kind of expect him to break camp with the team next year. And my thinking behind that is not just like blind faith optimism. It's just that uh, he's already at double A and batting 500. And I know it's only been like three or four games, but batting 500 in double A had his first extra base hit yesterday. He's 19 years old. He'll probably play the rest of this season in double A until the last week when I would imagine he goes up to triple A for the final week of their season and the playoffs. So you're going to have a 19 year old who is going to be have played at all four stops of the minor leagues full season ball this year was in major league spring training less than a year after being drafted out of high school number one prospect in baseball especially by the time next spring rolls around it should be pretty unanimous that's a guy who could win the rookie of the year if he starts the season on the Orioles roster and we know teams prioritize these extra picks it was more of an incentive, it seems like, than I imagined when the new changes were first announced to get these guys on opening their rosters. We saw it last year with Gunnar Henderson coming up in September and managed specifically to not lose his Rookie of the Year eligibility for this season, and he's making a run at it. We also had Grayson Rodriguez. So there was two shots the Orioles had at the Rookie of the Year. Obviously, it didn't work out with Grayson, but remember, just because he didn't start the year on the roster, he came up soon enough that he got credit for the entire year's worth. Turns out he gets demoted later in the season anyway and will preserve that extra year. But he does count as a uh, guy that was eligible for that award. I think we'll have two of them again next year. I think Hessen Kerstad will be up in September or late August. I think he's going to be the Gunnar Henderson of this year. And I think he will be Rookie of the Year eligible and make the team out of spring training next year. And I think... Jackson Holiday has a real chance if he, like David says, this is assuming he continues to be really good for Bowie and ends the year in AAA, has a great spring training, works over the offseason on, you know, getting a little bit stronger, hitting a little more harder contact, less ground balls, then what's the worst that could happen? He could be another Gunnar Henderson where his plate discipline and swing decisions are so good, even if he struggles for two months to start the year. He's going to get on base. There's no doubt about that. He's an athlete. He can play defense really well up the middle. You ease him in if you have to, and then things should probably click like they did with Gunner this year, and he's got a shot at the uh, Rookie of the Year. Him and Heston will compete just like uh, Gunner and Josh Young and the rest are competing this year. So I actually think there's a good chance he starts next year on the opening day roster. Some people disagree, and I get that. I think in an ideal world, he would get – a few months in AAA next year, and if all is going well, then he comes up in the middle of the season. But with that extra rookie of the year draft pick available, I think it's either going to be he starts the year on the opening day roster or he's in AAA all season until next 
August, September, like we're talking about with uh, Gunner last year and potentially Heston this year. But let's just imagine that he did make the opening day roster next year. The roster crunch, you think it's bad this year. Next year, it's going to be a lot of fun, but a lot of like trying to fit guys in because there hasn't been that big trade other than Daryl Hernandez. You won't have Adam Frazier anymore, but you'll have Adley Rutschman at catcher. Ryan Mountcastle slash Heston Kerstad at first base. You would have, let's just say, Jordan Westberg at second base, Jackson Holiday at shortstop, Gunnar Henderson at third base, Austin Hayes in left, Cedric Mullins in center, Colton Kowser in right, Anthony Santander at DH, maybe Joey Ortiz, backup infielder, backup outfielder could either be Heston Kerstad or Ryan McKenna or someone along those lines, Hudson Haskin or... A free agent or minor league signing. Ryan O'Hearn is still in the mix. He seems like he's been fixed a little bit by the Orioles, so he's going to be under team control. You're also going to want to consider signing a free agent or trading for more offensive talent, although it's not as likely as pitching. You're also going to have Kobe Mayo, who is now in AAA and one of the best prospects in baseball, and another guy who I could see fighting to earn a opening day spot on the roster between third base outfield dh first base whatever his bat can get in the lineup there's another possibility you have james mccann back as the backup catcher what are you going to do with ramon arias and jorge mateo just discounting them at this moment but they will still be under control unless they are traded or released so there will have to be major changes next season rumors no matter what possibilities are endless so we will see that's future mailbag material ben dewurst orioles status one on twitter would like to know who is our 2024 opening day starter at first base i guess there's three possibilities four possibilities potentially um ryan mountcastle ryan o'hearn heston kerstad and kobe mayo are all i think possibilities I will say depends on if it's a right-handed pitcher or left-handed pitcher on the mound. If it's a left-handed pitcher, I could see it being Ryan Mountcastle if he is still in the organization. If it's a right-hander, I would put it between Ryan O'Hearn and Heston Kerstad. But official prediction, I will say Heston Kerstad. Ben also wants to know, if you were stranded in the wilderness with one player currently on the 40, who would give you the best chance of survival? Oh, God, I should have... Pulled up the 40-man roster previously, but let's see here. I think I have someone in mind, but I just want to do a look over. Keegan Aiken, he seems like a decent possibility. Kyle Gibson was the guy who immediately popped into my mind. Just I've seen, I feel like I've seen him uh, in Army fatigues in the offseason, maybe shooting a gun or something like that. So that gives, uh, <laughs> gives a better chance than I would have. I would be dead almost immediately. Tyler Wells is a big guy, seems resilient. I don't know if he has any outdoors skills, but um, Jordan Westberg is a pretty serious guy. Seems like he's all about business, taking care of business, so I feel like he would at least take it seriously. But uh, yeah, uh, give me Kyle Gibson in this scenario, and uh, I'll pray that he can get us through alive, because I will certainly not be contributing to that very much. Ben also would like to know, is Anthony Santander a lock for the Orioles Hall of Fame? I don't know about a lock, but he certainly seems like a very fair candidate, considering it's 
not exactly uh, the toughest Hall of Fame to crack. He's got over 100 home runs now, exactly 100, right? So I will say yes, but it will be closer if he's traded this offseason. But I, I still think he'll get in there just because he's like a standout from this era of the team, the rebuilding era, the tanking era, whatever you want to call it. He was like the standout guy who was just consistently there and hitting home runs and providing on offense. So, yeah, I think he's almost a lock, but not quite. Ben also wants to know how many innings will Tyler Wells pitch this season? Still two and a half months to go. He's at a 104.2 innings on the year. He's been the workhorse. <clears throat> He's been the workhorse. He's been great all season. You're going to want him in the playoffs no matter what. I don't think you're going to be shutting him down necessarily because you need him to get you into the playoffs, and then you're going to need him in the playoffs. Uh, they might start pulling him at 90 pitches per outing instead of like 100. I, I think he I think they're just going to let these guys pitch. Maybe there's eventually a six-man rotation. Depends on what happens on the trade deadline and with Grayson coming up. I think he'll end up with 175 to 180 innings. Does that make sense? Maybe, and then maybe they'll back off on him a little bit next year. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to handle this because these guys need to pitch. And yeah, I know they're all going to be in career highs innings. Another thing I don't know how they're going to handle, but I just don't see how you can shut these guys down unless there's a phantom IL stint at some point. But you need these guys too, so you can't really be playing those games as much as you did with, we presume, Bradish last year. Tossie wants to know, who do you think will be the first to be hired as a general manager slash president of another team? He lists Sig, Meidel, Eve Rosenbaum, Kobe Perez, Matt Blood, and Brad Selick. When do you think it will happen? I think they're all deserving of promotions and clearly can run a team of their own if, if the opportunity presented itself um, and that's what they want to do. Personally, I think it could happen as soon as this offseason or next that maybe Michael Elias gets an extension and promotion up to president of baseball ops with Eve Rosenbaum being promoted to general manager. I could easily see that happening. But Sig Meidel could get that job if if that were to happen. Not exactly sure on the ambitions of Sig. If he seems like he he kind of likes more of a background role, but he clearly has the credentials to to do the job. Matt Blood should get an award of some kind for the way he he runs the minor leagues, and Brad Selick as well should get an award of some kind for the the drafts that. The team has been having ever since Elias and company took over. Kobe Perez is doing great work behind the scenes. International signings are just getting better and better as we enter that pool, and they're starting to hit the full season ball. And we're seeing Samuel Basayo, who's the first international signing to be in a top 100 for the Orioles. So all deserving. Hopefully we can keep them in the Orioles organization as long as possible. But I will go with Eve Rosenbaum as first on this list, and I will see it as with the Orioles actually and this season or next when it comes to GM president of another team that's not the Orioles I'll say Sig and I think it would be he love apparently he loves to uh bring teams back from the darkness like the Orioles and Astros when they've uh gone into those organizations so I'll say maybe he becomes like the 
GM of the Rockies or the Royals if those openings ever happen and they want to do anything other than lose. I don't know. SLGS Reds wants to know, do I have a tier list of potential starting pitchers that the organization should be attempting to trade for from most to least likely? I kind of do in my head a little bit. I think Shane Bieber, he's on the injured list, right? He had an MRI on his elbow. Not exactly sure what's going on with that, but I doubt he gets traded now at this deadline. Dylan Cease is probably the biggest name that seems like he could be available under control for two and a half more seasons. Probably going to cost too much. I just, yeah, if he was dominating or his velocity hadn't dropped a tick from last year and two ticks from three years ago, maybe I'd be more willing to do what it took to get him. I'm just not sure I want to give up the farm for a guy like Cease, so I'm ruling him out. I know the Padres say they're not going to trade guys away, and I do believe that, but Blake Snell would be really nice to have. He would be near the top of my want list just because if he can be pretty dominant over five, six innings, and D.L. Hall, again, I feel like D.L. Hall is potentially the next Blake Snell. That's what one of his best case scenarios is, so would be nice for him to be able to, to learn from him. Not sure what it would take, but he would look pretty good as the number one starter in a playoff series for the Orioles and would allow one or two of our current starting pitchers to move to the bullpen and hopefully improve that part of the team as well. Next up, I feel like uh, Aaron Savali is an underrated target from the Guardians. They have so much good pitching already and on the way still. They are incredible pitching factory when it comes to player development. And Savali has made some changes since the second half of last year. And he's been really, really good. Would like to get him over here. feel like he's an underrated guy that could, uh, could be traded for potentially. And then after that, I feel like it's just a bunch of like roll of the dice. You got Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn with the White Sox. I think I'd rather go after Lynn just because I feel like he's been unlucky feel like he's still basically the same pitcher that he has been just getting worse results I think this stuff is still good the walks are still not that bad so if you're going to trade for one of those White Sox starters might as well go for the one that's probably going to cost less from a prospect standpoint then you got Jordan Montgomery for the Cardinals or Jack Flaherty you got Kyle Hendricks from the Cubs and a few other guys like that where I'm not sure they're going to be much better than what we already have in-house, but at the same time, wouldn't hurt to get one of them. And again, you can move other guys to the bullpen and hopefully kill two birds, one stone there. It'll be interesting to see what the Orioles do over the next couple weeks. Last question I have is from Vivek, who says, propose a small deadline deal that could be realistic. Well, I'm going to go over to the ever-popular Baseball Trade Values website and see what I can do. I want to get a relief pitcher over here to help the bullpen. I'm going to target Foley from the Tigers, who's 27. And according to this website, he has a value of 19.9. So let's see what that would take from the Orioles' standpoint. I mean, how realistic would it be if one of Jorge Mateo or Ramon Arias were in that deal. This website has Mateo worth 7.7 7 
and Urias worth 9.2. So we'll split the difference and say eight. They can take whichever one of those two they want the most. They still have team control. And I doubt that's the route that the Tigers would go, especially under the guy who just took over for them from the Astros. But for the sake of this uh, experiment, we'll go with it. All right, so let's just say we trade Jorge Mateo worth 7.7 and Connor Norby worth 13.3 in exchange for 27-year-old Jason Foley, who is six foot four, 215, which is the perfect build for an Elias reliever. 27 years old, under four more years of team control following this season. He's got a 2.29 ERA this season, over 39.1 innings, a 2.06 FIP. 2.93 expected ERA, so it's pretty legit. He had a 2.61 ERA in 2021 over 10 innings, a 3.88 ERA last year for the Tigers over 60 innings. So seems like a really obvious target for the Orioles if, if the Tigers are willing to trade him. And I feel like Connor Norby is a big piece to give up for a reliever, but it might be what you have to do. Otherwise, I mean, you got to give up something, and Norby seems blocked, so I'd love to keep him around just in case he breaks through in a big way, or there's injuries, or people don't work out in front of him, but if you want to make a go at this this playoff thing, then you might want to get another high-end reliever like Jason Foley into the picture, and if you also can unload one of Mateo or Urias from a positive value standpoint, then you might just want to do it. That would allow Joey Ortiz to come up and be on the bench and get some playing time in the big leagues. And maybe if Norby is too much for you, maybe you know you can take someone else off of their hands as well to kind of even it out a little bit. Maybe another reliever. Maybe it's too Foley and a little bit of a lesser reliever, like, I don't know, Calvo, Holton, or Spencer Turnbull maybe. Michael Lorenzen, maybe Michael Lorenzen and, and Jason Foley for Connor Norby and uh, Mateo Urias. I don't know. They don't pay me to come up with these trades, but it is fun. It is fun. So that'll, that'll do it for the questions. I will quickly run over the Orioles active roster and just give a brief summary of seasons to date because gives some more content and gives me a chance to just kind of collect my thoughts. Starting rotation, you got Tyler Wells, who's 7-4 with a 3.18 ERA, 0.93 whip. He's almost over nine strikeouts per nine, which is pretty big considering last year he was at like six-something. His FIP is 4.56, almost exclusively because of the home runs. He's given up 21 on the season, but he's hit between him and Bradish, who I'll talk about next. Those two are like basically our one-two punch right now at the top of the rotation they've been fantastic basically all season but especially of late bradish is six and four with a 3.05 era following his seven and a third shutout innings from yesterday's ball game 91.1 innings pitched 87 strikeouts 1.13 whip a 3.39 fip you also got veteran kyle gibson nine and six with a 4.77 era over 115 innings he's got a 3.86 fip According to my spreadsheet, he's not been as good of late, but he's still going to gut through his outings and give you the innings, even if he doesn't have his best stuff like he hasn't recently. Dean Kramer, 10-4 and 4, with a 4.59 ERA, 
100 strikeouts over 104 innings. He's given up 20 home runs of his own, so he's got a 4.7 FIP, but excellent podcast on our Patreon feed. Between the Numbers with Santiago does a deep dive onto Dean Kramer and the analytics and all his, his pitches and movement and just really smart stuff from one of our patrons, Santiago. Check it out. I will be releasing that on the main feed in the middle of this week. Stay tuned for that. Cole Irvin, who's basically a reliever right now since Grayson's coming up to start tonight, but he's 1-3 with a 5.50 ERA over 37 and two-thirds innings. Been much better since coming up this last time. Felix Bautista, best reliever in baseball, is 4-1 with 25 saves, a 1.02 ERA, and a ridiculous 87 strikeouts over 44 innings. Not much to add there other than he didn't try his hardest in the All-Star game. Hopefully that was the case. I mean, he didn't look great in the All-Star game. He got the loss, but looked great ever since. Uh, Yanir Cano, another All-Star, he looked really good in the All-Star game. He's 1-1 with a 1.61 ERA, over 44 and two-thirds innings with 39 strikeouts and just six walks which is a 2.57 FIP. Yeah, he's given up more hits of late. He's been a little bit shaky at times, but I, I still trust him to come in and get ground balls, which our defense should be able to vacuum up. He had some really good ground ball luck when he first came up, and he was pitching a little bit better, but I, I still like him as a back-end arm. Danny Colomb, 2-1, got his first save, even if he gave up a run over two-thirds of an inning yesterday to... Raises ERA to 2.90 over 31 innings, but really like him. He's another guy I trust at the back end of a bullpen. Left-handed arm there. Brian Baker, always interesting with Brian Baker, but he's got a 3.52 ERA over 38 and a third innings. Him and Mike Bauman, who's 6-0 with a 3.92 ERA. Those guys are like hit or miss. Yeah, they're either really good or are really not, but... At the end of the day, I think they're pretty solid guys. Nick Vespi, 4.05 ERA over his four appearances, six and a two-thirds innings. Like having him around. Don't think he pitched this weekend, so should still be available for the Dodgers series. Hopefully he doesn't get sent back down. Edward Bizardo, he's probably going to get sent back down today or very soon. He gave up three runs. Omer's blew the game yesterday. Uh, got a 15.45 ERA. I like him as a relief prospect, but man, you got to get it done at the major league level or you're going to be sent back down or DFA'd because, you know, stuff doesn't matter quite as much as results at the major league level. So him and Reed Garrett, who are guys that were promising, so far the results have not been quite there. On the hitting side, one of these guys is going to have to go for a pitcher maybe as soon as today because we got 14 position players and 12 pitchers. And we know teams love to max out the pitchers at 13. Adley Rutschman sitting at 275 batting average with an 801 OPS. 15 doubles, 12 homers, 40 RBI. Finally has more strikeouts than walks on the season. But just steady Eddie at the top of the lineup. Anthony Santander also batting 275. He's got an 847 OPS, 24 doubles, a triple, 17 home runs, 54 RBIs. He is the big run producer for the Orioles in the middle of the lineup or top of the lineup. He's a streaky hitter, but when he's hot, he's hot, and right now he's pretty hot. So congrats to him on 100 home runs and for proving me wrong that he did have another level to his game, and he has achieved that the past uh, couple seasons. 
Starting center fielder in the All-Star game, Austin Hayes is batting 310 with an 840 OPS, 23 doubles, two triples, and nine home runs. Again, I'm glad he's proven me wrong. Staying healthy, staying productive on the field. Love to see it. Gunnar Henderson in the midst of turning into a, a superstar like we all predicted. He's batting 245 with an 804 OPS, 12 doubles, three triples, and 14 home runs. He's got five stolen bases, 39 RBI. He's got his strikeout rate under 30% at 29.2. He's making really good plays in the field when he's not pegging cameraman in the head. Cedric Mullins, he came back from the injured list, didn't look quite himself, and then he turned it around. He, with one swing, it seemed like that double high off the wall before the also break unlocked something in him, and he was performing really well, and then he injured his quad the other day and and uh, is day-to-day, hopefully nothing too serious. He's batting 259 with an 801 OPS, 16 doubles, 3 triples, 9 home run, 47 RBI, 14 stolen bases. Mountcastle is back up from the minors, but he's more of a bench player at this point. 230 batting average, 689 OPS. Adam Frazier, he's uh, already got a career high in home runs with 12 first multi-homer game. Over the weekend, he's betting 240 with a 729 OPS, 7 steals, 12 stolen bases, 12 doubles, a triple, 44 RBI. Who would not? Who would have thought he'd be a valuable fantasy player as well as a uh, valuable veteran presence in the lineup? Ryan O'Hearn betting 303 with an 869 OPS, 10 doubles, 7 homers, 28 RBI. He's like second in baseball in hard hit percentage. So who says player development ends when a player is an established major leaguer, even if it was a, a poor one, with Ryan O'Hearn in the Royals. Ramon Arias, batting two fifty seven with a seven seventeen OPS, 16 doubles, 4 home runs, 29 RBI. Aaron Hicks, he's been a little bit not as good as he came out of the gate scorching hot when the Orioles signed him, but he's batting two fifty five with the Orioles with an eight thirty seven OPS, 3 doubles, a triple, 6 home runs, 17 RBI. He's got a 15% walk rate and a 20% strikeout rate. So he's going to probably stick around for a little bit longer. Colton Kowser, he's only got 21 at-bats. He's batting 143 with a 357 on-base percentage. So very much like Gunnar Henderson in the first few months of the season. Doesn't have his first extra base hit yet, but has walked five times and only struck out three times. So... Bar. Jordan Westberg's batting 250 with a 717 OPS. He came out of the gates pretty good, slumping a bit of late. He's only got 48 at bats. We knew there was going to be an adjustment period. I'm actually surprised he's performed as well as he has to date. Jorge Mateo, 216 batting average, 615 OPS. He did have a two RBI triple and he misplayed ball in the outfield over the weekend, but uh, I think his days are a little bit numbered right now. James McCann, 189 batting average with a 544 OPS, but he does provide some good backup defensive catcher, valuable player to have. You can never expect offense out of a backup catcher, but he does hit the ball hard, so there is room for improvement there as well. Okay, that will do it for me on this week's Major League Mailbag, and we'll be back tonight to talk to Joe Doyle and recap the Orioles draft from last week. So looking forward to that. As always, thank you for listening. And for all you patrons out there, thank you for your support. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. 
We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.